The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Many of Jesus' disciples were listening and said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but, these are, but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former ways of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I mentioned uh, that there are three of uh, my favorite readings, uh, and I just want to make uh, one quick kind of comment. We're going through a series, so we're going to be focusing on John chapter 6, the Bread of Life Discourse, uh, but just kind of one uh, quick comment about the, the second reading. Um, I don't know about you, but every single time I hear it, it makes me cringe a little bit, and it makes me cringe, but yet I love it. Well, why? What do I love about it? Well, I don't love the bad interpretation that many people have misused it for, um, It is not all about domination or power of a man over woman. That's not what Ephesians is about. Um, And that's often misused that way. But we want to read it within its context. And what's it about? What's it about being mutually submissive? Mutually subordinate is actually the word that they use. And I love the subordinate because there's an order within it. That we are actually ordered in what should marriage and spousal love be ordered for. should be ordered towards God and ordered towards heaven. And so there is an order within it. And I think that there's also a greater call for men in it than even women, right? To love their wives as their very body. To love their wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? That's how a husband is supposed to love his wife, to lay down his life on, their cro- on the cross, not to live over in power or domination or anything of the sort. But also within Ephesians, what's beautiful about it, that even more importantly than what it says within the complementarity, within husband and wife, within marriage, it speaks about the mystery of Christ and his church is even more important within the mystery there. And so, yes, it is talking about marriage, but St. Paul says that it's all marriage and the mystery of marriage is actually all ordered for us to understand better actually the mystery of Christ and his church, the bride. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that uh, before we jump into more. There's there's a lot more there. Uh, Pope John Paul II spoke uh, a lot about it, I think, very beautifully, but that's all that I'm going to speak about it today. So we've been going through this series, the Bread of Life series. 
And we're focusing on the bread of life because the lectionary is focusing on the bread of life. We're actually taking a break from the Gospel of Mark and jumping into the Gospel of John and reading John chapter 6. If you read no scripture, okay, as a Catholic, we should all read John chapter 6. If that's the only scripture that you read, that isn't enough. But that's probably one of the most important for us to just kind of understand a little bit of the context of what we do as Catholics coming here to Mass. And that's what we've been walking through. And so we've been talking about this bread of life, and we've talked about it in different ways. And so we've talked about the way in which, within the bread of life, that God desires to give us rest, true rest, a recreating rest, a rest that recreates the soul here in the bread of life. We talked about the need for cooperation. That God doesn't want to just operate on his own, but actually that he asks for our cooperation in many things. Uh, One of the things being here in Mass, in prayer, and with the Eucharist and the bread of life. We've talked about seeking, right? As humans, we seek many things. What are you seeking? And what do we seek here? Well, here we should be seeking not ourselves, not our own entertainment, but seeking God, right? Seeking to worship God. We talked about the way in which the bread of life gives us sustenance, about the way in which it continues to help bring us life, but that unfortunately many people don't necessarily experience it that way because there are certain barriers or other things that might prevent us from experiencing or taking part in the sustenance that the bread of life gives us. And last week, we talked about at the Assumption of Mary, where Mary was assumed into heaven, body, and soul, the importance of the body and soul, and the importance of the way in which God operates and made us as persons, which are souls, yes, but body and souls. And so God continues continues to interact with us, not just in a spiritual way, a disembodied way, but actually in an embodied way, because that's what human is, body and soul. And that he's given us these sacraments, the bread of life, the Eucharist, to be able to embody and accept the grace that God, in an embodied way, as a human person. Today... I'd like to speak a little bit about the way uh, in which we're called to eat, okay? We're called to eat. Well, what in what ways? Well, yes, we're called to eat normal food in order to sustain our body. Yes, that is true. However, Jesus speaks about eating something else, which should surprise us a little bit, okay? So this is one of my other things, is that sometimes we can read the scripture and hear scripture so many times that we just, we're like, yeah, 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 I know. Uh, But scripture should surprise us because there's always something to be surprised about. There's something always to be challenged or questioned, you know, to understand who Jesus is. Jesus was not just a nice smiley uh, picture or not just somebody on a crucifix, but he's a real living person who sometimes confuses us, right? Okay? So we heard the uh, part of the Gospel of John, but I'm going to actually read the section that we missed from last week, rightfully so because of the Assumption of Mary. And that's kind of the setup, the middle ground between what was happening before as well as what happens. Now, hopefully you've already read this this past week, of John, just the whole of John chapter 6. 
Uh, and something that I continue to encourage you to do, just go home and read John chapter 6, sit with it, pray about it, talk about it. Um, but I'll read uh, John chapter 6, verse 51 uh, through 58, which is from last week. So Jesus said to the crowds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I have life because of the Father. So also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Now hopefully, that strikes us a little bit. He's really intent about this eating thing. In fact, He's so intent, we don't quite get it. Again, the scriptures were, specifically the New Testament, was written in Greek. And so this is a translation in English. And sometimes we don't pick up some of the subtleties. One of the subtleties that's often mentioned uh, within scholars is the word eat that's used here. Which is different than the normal eat word that's used, uh, human eating, at the time. The eating that is used within the Gospel of John is more of an animalistic eating. It's the eating that we would use for, that what animals were eating, that's what word we would use here, which is kind of just more of an earthly, more of a gnawing type eating. And so Jesus is not talking about a nice symbolic type of eating, but he's saying gnaw, right? Just kind of eat, kind of this earthly type eating. Now, what does that say for us? Well, to a certain extent, what it says to us is that we should be a certain amount uncomfortable with this because essentially what he's telling us to do is, well, he is telling us to eat them, right? And what is that? It's called cannibalism, right? Um, now, I'm thankful that the apostles did not take him so literally right here, right now, as to bite into his arm and start eating them, Right? Okay, gratefully, they were kind of like, okay, Jesus, you're saying some crazy things. I don't know what it is. And in fact, most didn't understand what he was saying and saying, hey, you're telling me to eat your flesh and drink your blood. That's wrong. Uh, so we're going to leave now, right? You've said some other crazy things, and we kind of like what you said, but, but this is going too far, right? This is going too far. And in fact, interestingly enough, the early church was often accused of cannibalism because of this belief. Because they talked about, when they talked about participating in the Eucharist, they talked about eating Jesus' body and blood, his very flesh. And so, uh, it should make us a little bit uncomfortable. Now, did everyone understand what he was saying in the moment? And do we still understand what's happening? Yes and no. In 2,000 years, we have come to a greater understanding of what the Eucharist is, but it's still, to a certain extent, and always will be, a mystery that we cannot fully comprehend. However, 
within the context of this, we can say that Jesus was pretty intent on something more than a symbolic understanding, a symbolic gesture of communion uh, is what he wanted for us. He wanted us to engage body and soul within some sort of participation of eating his body and blood. And we see this here. I think one of the most convincing things is that he had an opportunity to back down from his kind of statements about eating, right? People were getting a little bit uncomfortable. And normally, when people are misunderstanding you, what you do is you kind of back back. You explain yourself, right? Instead, he doesn't do that. He doubles down. Yep, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have life within you. That's not backing down. That's saying, yep, you're uncomfortable with that, and you should be uncomfortable. And he's so intent on this that he actually allows all of his disciples to leave him. He's been gathering a following. And we we make this distinction between disciples and apostles. Now the apostles are disciples, but the apostles were specifically those 12 that he chose. And then other disciples were all those who would follow him and were doing it, following in different ways. All those disciples, those people who were following him, who saw his miracles and everything else, they're like, yeah, you're a little bit crazy. We're going to leave. And Jesus doesn't say, wait, 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 come back, come back. You don't understand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm just saying it in a symbolic way. In fact, uh, sometimes it's interpreted that way. Sometimes, um, because Jesus does say, the spirit, it is the spirit that gives life while the flesh is of no avail. And some people who don't believe in the Eucharist say, aha, here it is. Here's the text that interprets it, right? The flesh is of no avail. Therefore, it's just symbolic. But that's just one line in the midst of this context of this whole story, right? And what he's talking about is, yeah, the flesh is of no avail, right? The food that we eat is of no avail. We will all die. But the flesh that he gives here is his flesh, which is spirit and life and truth, right? So much more. So we take it, and Jesus then turns to his apostles and says, are you going to leave as well? You know, he says, do you also want to leave? He doesn't try to hold them back. He doesn't try to say, well, if you don't understand, I'm sorry, we'll walk with you. Well, what, what more can I do for you? How much more can I explain? Do, do you want to leave too? And Peter here has this beautiful line that I, I wish that we could all say because there's so many times when we don't understand everything within faith, within God, within a mystery of it all. We sometimes don't understand what God's doing with our life, right? A lot of the time we don't understand. And Peter says this beautiful line and speaks on behalf of the church and behalf of all of us. And he says, Master, to whom shall we go? I love this line. To whom shall we go? Now, it's not exactly a line of great confidence in God at that point. He's like, well, I don't really, you know, I'm kind of broke. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. No family will take, you know, like, Lord, I got nowhere else to go, right? It's kind of uh, desperate in some ways. But then he goes on deeper, right? He says, Lord, to whom else should we go? I find this not a line of desperation, but a line of realizing who God is, right? To be able to say, yeah, if there were other better options, I'd take them. But there aren't. Why aren't there other better options? Because of this next line. He says, we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. He says, right? That's the heart of why there's 
There's, who else shall we go? There's nowhere else better because you're God. So I can't go anywhere else. If I could, I would. But I can't. And in that, Peter and the church and the apostles stick with Jesus. And again, not understanding this text. But it's not coming to fruition until the Last Supper. When Jesus takes the bread and wine and says, this is my body, this is my blood. And Jesus, who is God, when he speaks, things happen. Because God at the beginning of creation said, let there be light. And there was light. When Jesus walks on this earth and he says, be healed, people are healed. When he says, rise and, and, uh, and be alive, right? Uh, Lazarus rises from the dead. When he says, rise, pick up your mat and walk, people rise, pick up their mat and walk. When he says, you are forgiven, people are forgiven. And when he says, this is my body and this is my blood, Within the context more of John chapter 6, where he's pretty explicit in terms of what it is, it becomes his body and blood. And why do we still do that today? Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Not a remembrance of a distant memory, but a Jewish understanding of remembrance, which is a participation in. And that's what we do today. We're following Jesus' commandments. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we come and we eat. Now again, that's not the only thing. There's a lot more than just this context. But this is the heart of our Eucharistic understanding of what's happening here. That there is something more than ordinary bread. And it should make us feel a little uncomfortable. It should, we should come here with a certain amount of fear and trembling, a certain amount of mystery, a certain amount of not understanding everything. But yet, why do we keep on coming? Because, Lord, to whom else shall we go, right? You have the words of eternal life. We have, very thankfully, a great tradition in the church of this belief from the very beginning. We see St. Paul talk about the true presence. We see the early church accused of cannibalism, accused of idolatry because of its worship of the Eucharist. Why? Because it's something more than ordinary bread. It is Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity. And that as we approach, saints have been willing to die for the Eucharist. Right? Are we willing to? Do we come understanding what it is? Do we come to eat just a symbol? Or do we come to eat, as Jesus commands us, his very body and blood?